0: Hello everyone, this episode of the podcast was brought to you by Audible.com. If you want to download a free audiobook, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke, or just click on one of the pictures on my website that says Audible. Okay, now let's get started. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. How are you? I hope that uh, you're doing well. hope you're fine and everything like that. It's boiling hot here. Absolutely sweltering. Um, And uh, I'm sitting here in a pair of shorts up here in the sky pod. Um, One of the good things about this place where I record episodes of the podcast is that there are windows. So I can see out the windows, I can see the view and everything, and it's very nice. The thing is, though, when it's hot up here, it's really hot. You kind of get a greenhouse effect because the light comes through the windows and it sort of uh, makes everything much hotter. So it's a bit like a greenhouse up here. And so I have to kind of open the windows and slide open the the sliding glass door there. And that means that wind then blows through. So it can get a little bit hot and kind of um, sort of uh, weathery up here. Um, It's all right at the moment. Um, I've, you know, I've installed these blinds that block out the light a little bit, so it's actually quite, it's quite comfortable as long as I don't move around too much, because then I will start sweating. Um, so yeah, it's very hot, very hot in Paris at the moment. In fact, it's going to be forty degrees tomorrow, apparently forty degrees, which is really much hotter than it normally is um, in this city. Uh, I wonder what it's like where you are. Are you having a heat wave where you are as well? How's the temperature? Is it boiling hot? Or is it sort of winter in your part of the world? It's amazing that I have an audience from all over the place. Um, I think that's fascinating and brilliant. We all have so much to share. Um, So, you know, as ever, leave your comments on the uh, page for this episode. Just tell us, first of all, I guess the the first question I have for you is just what's the weather like where you are? Okay, is it boiling hot or is it um, quite sort of comfortable and manageable? Um, Let me know. Right, so Let me tell you about this episode of the podcast, and I think I need to get straight down to it because I think I've got lots of content to cover in this episode. Um, So, earlier this year, I was sent an email from uh, one of the managers of a popular website in Russia for teachers of English. Uh, The website is called teacher.ru, and teacher is spelt T-E-A-4-E-R, like the number four. T-E-A-4-E-R. I think that's because... I think it's because in Russian, the number four is pronounced with a sort of ch sound, but I might be wrong about that. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, teacher.ru, uh, spelled tea 4 e Um... So, this is a a popular website in Russia for people who teach English. It's a kind of website for teachers. Basically, the editor of this website approached me by email because some of uh, the readers of the website had mentioned uh, me, apparently. And so, he emailed me and asked me to basically sort of do a kind of online interview, um, which involved me basically providing an article. I just wrote an article explaining my approach to teaching English and how my podcast is all part of that. The idea was that after uh, reading the article, then readers from the website could send me their questions as part of a kind of competition. So they'd read the article, then they'd send me some questions. And after a few weeks, I would then read all those questions and then sort of choose a few winning questions to answer. And then I would sort of send my answers and those would be published on the website as well. Okay, Um, so the plan was that I would choose about five winning answers Uh, And in the end, what actually happened was that there were so many questions that I found it almost impossible to just pick five. Um, There were over 20 pages of questions, and I was totally blown away by the number of responses, to be honest with you. Um, Teacher.ru is a hugely frequented site, and of course, I think... Well, I know that Russia is one of the biggest countries for Luke's English Podcast. Um, In terms of website visitors, uh, Russia is number one, followed by Spain, uh, the UK, Poland, Italy, the USA and Japan. So that's visitors to the website. Um, For audio downloads, my top country by far is the United Kingdom. I don't know why. Who's listening in the UK? Is that like native speakers who who live in England or Scotland or Wales or something or Northern Ireland? Have I got British people listening to the podcast? Or is that people who live in the UK but they don't speak English as a first language? Tell me, if you're living in the UK and you're listening to Luke's English podcast, who are you? Are you a learner of English? Are you a teacher of English? Are you just an, an ordinary citizen? Uh, Are you a member of the royal family or something? I want to know who you are, because um, my top country for audio downloads is the UK. That's followed then by Russia, then Spain... Uh, Then Poland um, and Japan, all right? So uh, Russia is pretty much up there in terms of website visits and uh, audio downloads. So that also may explain why I got so many responses from this Russian website. Um, I ended up responding to way more than five questions. I just couldn't pick five. I couldn't narrow it down to five. So I ended up just responding to loads of them. Um, I sent my responses to the website and they published them this week. So, my article and all the questions and my responses are all available on teacher.ru. But um, with the permission of that website, I have decided to turn the whole thing into an episode of Luke's English podcast. Um, I mean, I, I put so much time into writing the article and answering the questions that I thought that it might be worth just reading the whole thing out for my listeners to hear on Luke's English Podcast. So that's what you're going to get in this episode. I'll read you the article I wrote first, which is basically the story of my career and of Luke's English Podcast, and then I'll read out the questions I was sent and my answers. Uh, The questions cover various topics, uh, mainly English teaching, but also a whole bunch of other stuff too. So I hope that you enjoy it. Um, I'm now going to start reading out the article that I wrote. Um, Now, you may have already heard some of this stuff before. I mean, I've told you about my career and the reasons why I started Luke's English Podcast. But um, here it is. Here's the sort of story all in one place. Um, So let me go through that and then I'll start on the questions. And as I said, I don't have much time to just sort of like hang around in this episode. Um, I've got to move forwards because there's loads of stuff to squeeze into it. Okay. Um, Right. So um, here it is. This is what I wrote and was published on teacher.ru recently. And it goes like this. Dear readers, These days, there is an emerging new kind of English teaching professional, the online teacher. Uh, Online teachers create their own content, they break new ground with the use of social networking, and they give learners an option outside of the traditional school structure. They're on YouTube, uh, they write blogs, they do podcasts, and they gain a very significant following. And I suppose that I am now one of them. Um, Over five years ago, I had settled into my career as an English teacher. Um, I'd passed my Delta course. I had a permanent job teaching English and I just bought my very first property in London, my own apartment. I bought a new laptop. And it gave me the option to record, produce and publish my own podcast on iTunes. Um, I'd always wanted to be a radio DJ. As a child, I'd produced numerous fake radio shows with my brother on our old cassette recorder. And I'd always loved listening to radio podcasts and comedy CDs. It was my dream to make the same kind of content and to have an audience of people like me who would lie on the sofa listening to someone else's words, being transported to different worlds of imagination. For a while, I tried my hand at making comedy videos on YouTube, but they didn't get many views. Why would anyone look at my comedy videos and short films anyway? I didn't really have an audience. As an English teacher, though, I'd been working for about eight years. I'd met hundreds and hundreds of learners of English from around the world and had learned some key things about teaching English and speaking to people. I knew that almost everybody... It seems that almost everybody in the world wanted to learn English. The vast majority of the people living on earth, really. I'd learned how to engage the attention of a class full of people. I knew what subjects interested them, what language difficulties they had, and how to stand out as an English teacher. Also, as a recently diploma-qualified professional, I had some proper know-how when it came to helping other people learn my language. What I realised was that there was a potentially a uh, potentially huge audience in the world. I had something to offer to them, and I had the means to do it. So what could possibly stop me from launching my own podcast for learners of English? The idea sounded perfect, really. I could do it all on my laptop. I could plan my episodes around engaging topics. I could make sure I included some fairly rigorous sequences about language and learning a language. And I could find ways of making the content funny too. I even had my own flat where I could record episodes of the podcast without being disturbed. Conditions were perfect, Um, I come from what I consider to be a BBC family. My dad was a BBC man for about 30 years. We grew up in a BBC household. We never watched ITV, the commercial television station, which was the BBC's main rival. We never watched it. We always had the BBC on the television. The BBC logo was everywhere in our house on pens, folders, notepads and mugs. I would often hear my dad talking about producing the news, what he thought of different presenters and how to deliver information as a broadcaster. It felt quite natural then to do it myself on the podcast. Also, I'd always loved stand-up comedy. When I lived in Japan at the start of my career as a teacher, I had no television, so I used to listen to comedy CDs over and over again. I had a little CD player, a couple of little speakers, and I would lie on my bed and listen to all these comedy CDs. My mum used to send me recordings of Eddie Izzard, Bill Bailey, Monty Python, Peter Cook, Bill Hicks and Steve Martin and I used to devour them, listening over and over and over again lying on my bed. I came back to London after a couple of years in Japan, just as the podcasting boom took off for the first time. I continued what had now become a tradition of lying on my bed, listening to someone talking through my speakers, usually a stand-up comedian. But this time I was listening to podcasts, podcasts which were free to download all over the internet um, and produced uh, not only by, you know, uh, organisations like the BBC, but also produced by just ordinary people making the podcasts in their homes. I'd always harboured a desire to try stand-up comedy as well myself, but it wasn't until my girlfriend at the time suggested that I do a stand-up comedy course. Yes, they do exist in London. Um, It wasn't until I started doing that that I first picked up a microphone, stood on stage, and tried to make a room full of people laugh. The relationship with the girlfriend didn't last, but the stand-up comedy did. And I'm still doing stand-up now. In fact, I have a gig in about one hour uh, this evening. Um, and I'm glad to say that that feeds into my podcast a lot as I attempt to use comedy from time to time to try and make my audience laugh and to, re- to reduce the so-called affective filter, which can really get in the way of language learning. So, that is what I brought to my new podcast project called Luke's English Podcast. Years of experience, qualifications, enthusiasm, a kind of BBC background, and some skills as a stand-up comedian and now I finally have my own radio programme. Over the last five years, I've managed to keep producing regular episodes of this show, and it brings in lots of listeners, particularly in Russia, but also in many other countries. Um, You may be wondering at this point what the website address is for Luke's English Podcast, and of course, I'm very glad to tell you. It's teacherluke.com co.uk. There you'll find loads of content, including some very popular YouTube videos, but mainly it's a place for me to present episodes of my podcast, uh, which is also available on iTunes. Um, The vast majority of my content is in audio form, and I upload podcast episodes about once a week. Each episode is one hour long on average and the English level of my audience ranges from intermediate to proficiency. Yes, that's right, my episodes are usually about one hour long. Sometimes people are surprised at that length as the usual model, it seems, for learning English podcasts is for for them to be short, like for example the BBC's six-minute English podcast. I suppose the conventional wisdom here is that short episodes are easier easier to digest and they don't overwhelm learners with too much content, and they're convenient for listening at lunchtime or during a quick break from work or studies, and they can be adapted by teachers for classroom use. That's the shorter podcast episodes, like, as I mentioned, the BBC's Six Minute English. Um, But I decided quite quickly that I would take the conventional wisdom and just chuck it out the window. Um, My episodes would be longer, uh, like the podcasts that I love to listen to, By 2009, I'd been listening to to podcasts regularly, particularly one called Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo's Film Review. That is one of the most popular podcasts in the UK and is produced by the BBC. In a nutshell, it features two guys reviewing films, but it's not really a film review show. It's more than that. Um, Reviewing films basically gives their podcast a structure and a theme, but the show is and sometimes quite profoundly, about life in general. Um, it's an intensely rewarding listening experience, especially if you're a long-term listener. Listening to Mark and Simon wittering on about films is, for me, life-affirming, entertaining, touching, educational, and more. It makes you feel like you're part of a close community of people who share a certain outlook on life, and, all who, uh, and who are all aware of the little in-jokes and references from that show. I wanted Luke's English podcast to be like that. I wanted wanted it to have a similar feel to the uh, Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo film review podcast. Um, So having longer episodes gave me much more freedom I could go much deeper into subjects I wanted to talk about. I could achieve more in each episode. I've never really understood why learning English podcast episodes should be short. I mean, okay, I sort of get the idea that it's easier for people to to consume them. But um, I'm not convinced by that. And in fact, I would go... So far as to say that there doesn't seem to be any really good reason for learning English podcasts to be so short. Um, MP3 players and iPhone applications are programmed to remember where you stopped listening to each episode. So if your journey to work is only 30 minutes, it's no problem. Listen to 30 minutes of an episode and then just press stop or pause. And then when you come home from work, your MP3 player will remember where you were listening to that episode, even if you listen to some music in the meantime. Also, longer episodes mean more content. And what's wrong with that? Um, So, despite the fact that every now and then I read comments that say my podcast episodes are a little bit long, I maintain that they are, in fact, exactly the right length for what I want to achieve with my podcast. Um, The other thing I decided from the beginning was that my episodes would not be scripted, he says, reading a scripted episode. A lot of other podcast episodes for learners of English are scripted, and I know why. It's because writing the script beforehand means that you can easily add target language into a conversation, you can control and prepare grammar or vocabulary explanations, and it means that a full transcript is also available for listeners when the episodes are published. But... When I listen to these scripted episodes, for example, the BBC's Six Minute English, to me, they just sound a little bit fake, a little bit awkward, and a bit unengaging. Why should English learning materials be dull or patronising? Why make podcast episodes contrived or full of bad acting and unnatural speech patterns? Again, I can't think of any really good reasons for doing this. I think it's probably because it's more convenient for the producer of the podcasts to make them scripted, and it fits in with certain assumptions that people have about learning English, and therefore, you know, learning English podcasts have to be slow and a bit patronising and all that kind of thing. Um, Now, I don't agree. I think it must be better to present English in the most authentic way possible, isn't it? By recording without a script also, the plan is there that the idea is I want to try and just make sure it's a pleasant listening experience. And therefore, if, it, if it's pleasant and people feel actually engaged with it rather than doing it just for learning purposes, if they actually want to listen to it, surely it's going to be far more effective as a learning resource. I mean, we know We know from, you know, academic work that when people are actually engaged on a meaningful level with what they're listening to, that it uh, raises the um, level of acquisition of that language massively. So, that's what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to give learners of English uh, a listening resource that they would actually want to listen to and that they could find fun and enjoyable. Not just something they would do out of a sense of necessity for studying, but something that they could just engage with on a sort of human level. And that, in a way, just by enjoying listening to it, that's half the battle. And um, if you just listen to the podcast and enjoy it, um, and, uh, you, you laugh occasionally, if, uh, hopefully you laugh occasionally or just find some connection to it, then, you know, a large part of your learning has been achieved there, I hope. Obviously, you, you do have to do some studying alongside. You can't just listen for fun. You also do have to do a bit of studying. But I think that, uh, basically my approach to the podcast is keep it authentic and, and that, that's a strength. Um, Admittedly, some of my episodes are scripted, like this one, for example. But for the most part, I have kept them spontaneous, and I think that that has really benefited the podcast. Uh, Generally, episodes sound more engaging um, and uh, and natural, and they present language more authentically, I hope. Um, I think it gives the program a lot of personality. Um, Again, I hope so. Uh, There are times when I have made mistakes. I stumble over my words sometimes or I forget what what I'm talking about. But generally, I leave all of those errors and mistakes into the published episodes of the podcast for the sake of authenticity. I think it's not necessarily a bad thing for learners of English to realise that native speakers stumble over their words and don't know quite what to say and make mistakes and aren't completely fluent and perfect all the time. I think that's a good thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a sense, I think, with English teachers that we have to present a perfect version of the language. Well, let's present the language as it really is, shall we? I think it makes it um, a much more realistic uh, prospect for learners when they engage with English in a, in a very authentic way, when they see learn, uh, native speakers perhaps making mistakes or not being completely articulate. I think it can be a much more realistic Feeling for learners, they can feel like, "Oh, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be able to communicate exactly what we want." It's not about being completely accurate. It's about getting the message across. That's one of the things I'm trying to explain. Um, So, where am I now? I've I just sort of went off script there. Um, So, um, so there, yeah. As as I was saying, there are times when I have made mistakes and I left them in the pod. Uh, in the podcast episodes. In fact, I think this sort of thing is precisely what my listeners love about my podcast, I think. They uh, they love the fact that it's real and spontaneous, uh, the fact that I have total creative control and that I make sure that podcasting is fun for me. All of these things have made Luke's English Podcast unique and valuable, in my opinion. Um, I have found that the episodes my listeners love the most are the ones in which I sort of take risks and I'm spontaneous. I can do things on Luke's English Podcast that I definitely wouldn't do in schools where I work as an employee. If I want to devote a whole episode to Star Wars or to zombies or something, then I can. If I want to talk about all the rudest words in the English language, I can do that. Um, If I want to just talk and talk and talk about nothing in particular with no plan, I can do that too. And it seems that the more I do that sort of thing, the more I throw myself into my episodes, the more my listeners actually appreciate it. Um, So the atmosphere of total freedom is really healthy for my podcast, I believe. For example, a couple of years ago, I just decided to improvise a story on the podcast based on an old joke that I used to tell as a child. The joke normally takes about two minutes to tell, but I decided to try and stretch the story to about 30 to 40 minutes of podcasting time. Um, I recorded the episode with uh, the microphone in my hand, walking around the kitchen in my flat, improvising jokes, dialogues and scenarios and telling this story. Uh, The story became an epic adventure with me being chased around the world by a huge pink gorilla using various modes of transport. I wasn't sure if I should publish it uh, because I thought that people would think I was crazy or something and that they wouldn't really see the learning value in it. Um, But that episode, number 125, called The Pink Gorilla Story, is one of the most popular ones I've ever done. And, well... I say most popular, what I mean is that it has a hardcore following. I've got some people who are absolutely crazy about that episode. Um, It seems that my listeners loved it, and now I try to do improvised stories um, quite regularly as well because it's so fun. It's full of risks, because I've got no idea what I'm going to say. Uh, next in those episodes. But I think it's a a truly rewarding experience for my listeners because it creates a listening experience which totally captures people's attention. If they know that it's being created there and then in the moment, then there's so much more drama involved. And I think that makes people pay attention. Um, It means people just really focus on every single word and it locks people in. And that's much more useful for their uh, listening. Sometimes people tell me that they're addicted to my episodes and that when they listen, time just flies by. Apparently, the length of my episodes proves not to be such an issue. Um, All of my feelings about this are backed up by academic research. I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Stephen Krashen, for example. His idea is that language is effectively uh, acquired by by learners of English when they engage with the language in a meaningful way and that the more comprehensible input a learner is exposed to, the better. Um, so that pretty much... Um that pretty much sums up the thinking behind my approach to the podcast. However, I realise that it's not just as simple as that, and I do try my best to vary my teaching method in my episodes. Sometimes I focus on grammar, providing, I hope, colourful examples and sample sentences, which I encourage my listeners to repeat to themselves. Sometimes I teach vocabulary in a fairly traditional way. Sometimes I devote episodes of the podcast to giving a general advice on learning English with a view to improving my listeners' metacognitive strategy. The whole package, which includes now over 280 episodes to date, uh, covers a really wide range of content, language input, comprehensible input, interviews with native speakers, comedy, music and more. I'm really proud of it and this year I've decided that I finally deserve to make some money from my endeavours. But this is the tricky part. So far I've focused mainly on producing, I hope, good content, hoping that it would speak for itself. It has done that to an extent and I have a healthy following with a, a large-ish audience, but I must find ways of monetizing my online project. So, taking Luke's English Podcast to the next level is my new challenge, um, and uh, producing regular episodes of the podcast, which uh, will be available free, while also developing ways of somehow monetizing the whole thing, that's my challenge and my project for the coming year. Um, as English teachers yourselves... Um, I remember that the people who read this uh, originally on on that Russian website are teachers. Um, As English teachers yourselves, I suggest that my podcast could be a great resource that you can recommend to your students for outside the classroom. Um, It could be just another option... Uh, other than the BBC's podcasts. Uh, If your students like it, hopefully they'll get hooked and then they'll find themselves with a healthy new habit in their lives. And if they don't like the podcast, then that's no problem. I've always known that you can't please all the people all the time, but you can do your best. There's so much more for me to tell you about, like the transcript writing project I have set up, which has listeners collaborating on transcriptions of my episodes using Google documents, and the award that my podcast has won four times. But I have... um Already written nearly 2,500 words here now, and as I said, I have to go out and perform some stand up comedy soon. So, just to bring this writing to a close, I should say that since starting my podcast in 2009, it has steadily grown in popularity. In the last year, Luke's English podcast was downloaded at over 3 million times in total, which is much higher than I expected when I first started. Um, I would really like to continue and build my work into something larger. I believe that I have a lot to offer as an online teacher and podcasting may just be the beginning. Online teaching has given me freedom, creative control, an audience, my own radio show, and an outlet for my comedy. I also know from all the messages I receive uh, every day, especially from listeners in Russia, for example, that my podcast has made a difference to the English of people all around the world. I hope that in the future I will be able to make a living teaching like this, and I believe I can. Thank you uh, for reading, and indeed, thank you for listening as well. So, that was the um, article that I I wrote um, much of that. I imagine for for many of you, if you're long-term listeners, much of that is stuff that you already knew. But there it is. There's in a way there's the whole story. If you're a new listener to the podcast, that might kind of give you a bit of important background information just to help you understand exactly who I am and what's going on here. So remember, the idea was that then readers of the website would send me their questions, and I, as I said earlier, I got like you know twenty one pages of questions, loads and loads and loads of them. So I went through all those questions and picked out the ones that I wanted to answer. And then I uh, wrote my answers and I uh, sent it to the website and that was published. So let me now read, um, let me read uh, what I um, sent back. So these are the questions I chose and the answers. Okay, Uh, there's a bit of music going on here, but can you hear that? I think I might just have a little bit of music now, just in the background, just for um, a bit of variety, okay? Right, so here's what I wrote um, to readers of teacher.ru and I said this. Earlier this year, I was invited to write a post on this website describing my teaching career and my reasons for starting my own podcast for learners of English. I told you my personal story, and then you were invited to contribute questions as part of a competition. I could then choose some of those questions to respond to. I was delighted to see over the weeks after posting my interview here that there were about 20 pages of questions from users of this website. It's amazing to see how many responses there were, including interesting thoughts and ideas uh, from so many bright-minded people. Um, I was asked to choose about five questions, but in the end, I found it really hard to choose just five, so I've written answers to many more than that. I hope that you enjoy reading my responses, and I'm sorry if your question was not included in the list. Would you like to listen to me answering your questions in a podcast episode? Uh, You could hear me give my answers orally. I may use your questions and my responses as the basis for a new episode of my podcast soon. You're listening to it right now. So if you'd like to listen to that, check out my podcast over the next couple of weeks. I will probably upload the episode soon. So uh, visit teacherluke.co.uk for more information. I hope you like reading my answers and now listening to them. And thanks very much for reading and listening. All the best, Luke Thompson. Right, so let's now go through the questions and my answers. By the way, I think I made some mistakes um, with the names So um, I think normally in Russia, you put your surname first and then your first name, right? You go with your family name first and then your your first name. In the UK, we tend to go with your first name and then your family name, for example, Luke Thompson. So um, I think I may have got some of the names wrong and I might have assumed that uh, the first names were in I, I think I use surnames Thinking they were first names and stuff like that So anyway we'll see Here comes the first question and it's from Tatiana And Tatiana says Hello I'm very pleased to ask you a question uh, My name is Tatiana I'm a teacher From uh, Tavricheskaya School uh, In the Omsk region And the question is if you were on a desert island And you had Only the right to three things What would they be? Thank you Good luck. I wish you success. So, hi, Tatiana. So, um, assuming I'm only allowed to have three objects rather than abstract Intangible things like hope, fortitude, good luck, knowledge of bushcraft, and stuff like that, so assuming I can only have actual physical objects, I would choose tools, probably, some tools that could help me survive. Uh, probably the main thing would be a really good knife or a machete i 've seen lots of survival shows on TV, and it seems that the machete is really important it 's like a you know a, one of the most important things you can have also i 'd probably want to have some really good rope. So I could, you know, use it for climbing or making a, a, a tent or something like that. Um, also, can I have a boat? Can I can I have a boat or a helicopter, or maybe a laptop with sort of remote internet access? No, I can't. Okay, well then maybe for the fir- the third thing, I'd like to have a drum kit, please, I'd like a big drum kit so I can just make loads of noise and beat out the rhythm of the universe on the beach at night under the stars. I think that would probably keep me alive spiritually because music is almost important to me as food and water. Thanks very much for your question. Next one is from, I think this is, this is Ksenia from again from the Omsk region, and she says, Hello, Luke. I suppose that you're keen on medicine. What do you think? What do you think when a person is too ill? He sneezes very often. Can he dash out his eyes during the sneezing? Thank you. Wow. Okay, so I replied, um, Well, if a person sneezes a lot, will his eyes pop out? Is that the question? I think that's the question. Well, okay, so I've heard people say that if you sneeze with your eyes open, that your eyes will just pop out. And now, I'd always assumed that it was kind of a myth. And then I watched a video... And that confirmed that in fact it is a myth. so there's a video which you'll find a, you'll find a link to that video on the website, the page for this website uh, page for this episode and it's a link from Mythbusters and it's they're, they're testing whether your eyes will pop out if you sneeze and so they record someone sneezing in slow motion with his eyes forced open, quite a dangerous experiment. maybe his eyes are going to come flying out. he sneezes with his eyes open the eyes don't pop out. But who knows? If you sneeze like really hard, maybe then it's possible. But I think that it's probably not possible for your eyes to pop out when you sneeze. I think it's just a myth. Okay. Um, So thank you. Thank you for your question, Ksenia. Uh, Let's move on to the next one. Um, And this is from someone called Marina, I think. Uh, Again, from the Omsk region. Lots of questions coming from that part of Russia, it seems. By the way, if you're from a different country, if you're from Poland or Japan or Spain or Italy, then, you know, I love you too. I love you too, all right? It's not all just about Russia in this episode. I mean, everyone else is still involved. Brazil, Korea. You know, I still love all of my listeners. This one just happens to be from questions, uh, questions from people in Russia, okay? Um... If you want to redress the balance, then you need to tell your friends in your country about Luke's English Podcast, and then maybe your country will become number one, all right? Um, So this one's from, I believe, Marina, and the question goes like this. One day, I was walking down the street, and suddenly, a black cat jumped out in front of me. At first, I didn't pay attention to it, but after an hour or two, I lost my phone. And then I remembered about the superstition, which is connected with black cats. I'd never believed in omens, but after the accident, I started to believe in them. Do you believe in superstitions? Thank you. Well, uh, that's an interesting question. And in fact, I've been preparing a podcast episode about superstitions, which I plan to publish soon. In fact, uh, you can actually find it already on the website. I published it a couple of episodes ago. Episode 280, I think. Um, So, do I believe in superstitions like this? Well, no, not really. Let's look at the example of your phone and the black cat, okay? Now, do you really believe that the black cat caused you to lose your phone? What evidence is there that the cat is the direct cause of the loss of the phone? Surely, it's just a coincidence, isn't it? I think what's happened is something called confirmation bias, okay? Which basically means that it that is the tendency to interpret events in a way that supports beliefs or theories that you have and i would hypothesize that there is no causal um, causal there's no causal connection between the cat and the loss of your phone. I think what's happening there is that you're creating the connection between the cat and the phone. I mean, can it really be true that cats possess magic powers or specific powers over over mobile phones? What form of what form does this magic take, in fact? Now, I believe what has happened is that you saw a cat, then later you lost your phone. That there's no connection between the two events. But because superstitions offer us an answer to events that we don't really understand or don't really have control over, like, for example, the unexpected loss of something valuable, then you make... A connection between the two things that isn't really there so unless you can provide me with reliable evidence of the power of cats over phones then I just don't believe it all right Um, superstitions I think are our brains way of answering unanswered questions like for example why do bad things happen for no reason or what happens after we die thank you very much for your question Um, let me just move on to the next question in a moment but first of all Let me do my little bit of um, publicity for audible.com. You know that I'm doing this because it's just one way that I can try and raise some money to help me keep doing Luke's English Podcast. I can't keep doing this thing for free, okay? I've been doing it for nearly six years. Can't keep doing it for free. How could I justify spending all this time on something that sort of loses me money? So I have to search for ways of, uh, monetizing this podcast. And one of the ways I've found at the moment is to get a sort of sponsorship deal with audible.com, which you probably know about already because you've heard me talk about it before. Um, So the basic idea is that if uh, uh, my listeners download a free audiobook and sign up for a trial, then I get a little bit of commission from that. Not a huge amount by any means, but it all helps. So what I've been doing to try and encourage my listeners to explore the whole audiobook thing using audible.com, what I've been doing is uh, telling my listeners about uh, the UK's favourite books of all time. And we're now up to the 8th book in the list, okay? So, what is the UK's eighth favourite book? Well, it is um, 1984 by George by George Orwell. 1984 by George Orwell. Um, I recommend that you check out the new classic edition, okay, on audible.com. 1984. This is a seriously good novel, and I mean that it's both serious and good, Um, Written in 1948, uh, this book represents George Orwell's vision of a possible future for the UK, living under the control of a totalitarian government in which there is no such thing as privacy, News reports are manufactured in order to keep the population under control. People lead dull and exploited lives, with even their thoughts policed by the state. And Big Brother is always watching you. It's an incisive and frightening social satire that is alarmingly close to today's reality in many ways. And it is essential reading, or listening in fact, because the new classic edition of 1984, which is narrated brilliantly by Simon Prebble. By the way, Simon Prebble is like the king of audiobooks because he's done so many great books. Um, The new classic edition of 1984 is now available on audible.com, and you can download it free and listen to it on your phone, your computer, or in your car as part of a 30-day trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash teacher luke or just click on one of the audible buttons on my site Uh, you can sign up to your trial then choose a book that you want to download and i recommend that you search for 1984 the new classic edition everybody should know this book Um, it is expensive expertly written and grippingly narrated. Here's Here are a couple of reviews from um, people who've downloaded this audiobook. This is one from uh, a customer called Bob, and he says, I'm a regular consumer of audiobooks, and Simon Preble's narration brings this book to life with such pitch-perfect, jaw-dropping excellence that I'm at a bit of a loss, how to praise him highly enough. Suffice to say that I got so lost in the story that at times I forgot altogether that this was a book. Do yourself a favour and give this one a listen. Here's another review from Yvette Floors and she wrote, the narrator in this book is great. The drama and expression in his voice are fantastic. I have an hour drive one way to work, and one day I was so engulfed in this book that I didn't even realise I'd driven all the way home. This book is very well done and well worth the time. I highly recommend this to all listeners of audiobooks. So that's 1984, the new classic edition. You can get it, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke or click one of the audible pictures on my website. There you go. All right. Now, let's get back to these questions from uh, people on teacher.ru. How long have we been talking? 40 minutes, and I've only done a few questions. All right, let's get back down to it. So, um, Artem, uh, a pupil from a a school in the Omsk region again. Everyone's from Omsk. Why is that? Um, And he says, hello, Luke. Uh, If you had a time machine, where would you go? And my answer is, well, in fact, I would stay in exactly the same position. I'd stay in the same place, but at a different time. Okay? In fact, if I did travel through time, even just by a few minutes, I would probably end up floating in space because the time machine would simply deposit me at the same location in the universe, but at a different time. And because the planets and stars in the universe are constantly moving, the Earth would be in a different position, and I would end up lost in space, dead. So, a time machine is no good, okay? What you need is a machine that travels through both time and space simultaneously, like the TARDIS from the from the TV show Doctor Who. The TARDIS, of course, is the, the, the sort of spacecraft that the, the Doctor uses to travel through space and time. It TARDIS means time and relative dimension in space, So I would need not a time machine, but a TARDIS, because that would allow me to travel into the past or future, but also make sure that I travelled to the right position in space so that I would arrive safely on Earth. I know what you're asking me, though. Would I go to the future or would I go to the past? Hmm, I think I'd probably go to the past. I'd go and hang out in the past and maybe meet some some cool people, like I'd go to London in the 60s and hang out with the Beatles. I think that's what I would do. Okay, right, here comes another one from Edik Zimmer or Zimmer, Edict? I'm, I'm not sure. And uh, he says, have you ever watched the film Star Wars? If yes, did you like it? And what episode impressed you most of all? Thank you. Well, of course, I'm a massive Star Wars fan, and I've seen the original film, that's episode four, at least a 100 times. And I was mildly obsessed by it when I was a child. You know, my name's Luke. Um, I was born in 1977, the same year as Star Wars. Um, and um, Uh, You know, I I live in, I was born on a Thursday and I live in France and the French word for Thursday looks a little bit like the word Jedi. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm a Jedi. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And in fact, I did a podcast episode all about Star Wars not long ago. And I talked about the subject for about 90 minutes. And you can listen to that episode. Just find episode number 241, uh, Star Wars. Thank you very much for the question. I'd like to to refer you back to that episode all about Star Wars, and you can listen to it all in detail. Here's another one from a pupil called, I think, Daniel. And Daniel asks, hello, Luke, would you like to be a book which is opened by people every day? Thank you. And I wrote back saying, well, if I was a book, I would like to be opened by people every day because that would probably mean I was an interesting book full of worthwhile things to read and think about. However, if I was opened every day, that might mean that my pages would start falling apart after some time. And I'm not sure I would like that. Um, it's, it's, it's also an interesting question for me because I would very much like to write a book one day. And then I, so, I certainly hope that it would be opened by people every day. Thank you for the question. Here's another one. Hello, Luke. I'm a teacher of English and Spanish. And I'd like to ask for advice. The thing is that while teaching, we, learn, we teach our students to use websites... Um, and English blogs, but some of them just start surfing the net and forget the purpose of switching the computer on in the first place. How can I limit them uh, in the net and make them only study? Well, okay. My response to this, uh, which is obviously a question about how students these days get so easily distracted by the internet. Well, um, I totally understand the problem of our students surfing the web during classes or being distracted by their phones or Facebook it's a tricky area because these days young people live their lives in constant interaction with the internet um, some of my colleagues ban laptops phones and tablets from their classrooms um, I think that's I think that's a fine choice as long as you're prepared to act like a police officer in class as well as a teacher um, I personally attempt just to capture the interest of my students in every class I teach, so that they choose not to go online, um, but uh, to listen to me instead. I'm not always successful, of course. Some students will still end up going online during my classes, which frustrates me a lot. Firstly, it's rude for them not to be listening or taking part. And secondly, it means that they might be finding my class boring which is, of course, an almost unbearable thought, but it is nevertheless uh, a reality. I'm sure that some of my students do find my classes boring. And thirdly, it means that the whole class slows down when some people are not concentrating and it becomes less effective because some people are just not following what you're saying. Still, I think that we have to accept a certain amount of multitasking in our classrooms these days. Um, Using the internet while also performing other tasks is a normal part of daily life especially for younger people so we should maybe we should let it happen in our english classes in order to make classroom interactions more realistic nevertheless it is totally unproductive and damaging if students are just being distracted by social networks especially if it's in their native language and not in english so here are a few options okay option number 1 you can just ban computers in class completely um But you do have to be a bit of a police officer then. Option number two is allow computers, but ban social networks and other stuff that's not related to the lesson. Again, you have to kind of patrol the class and keep looking at their screens. Um, And number three, option three is accept that a certain amount of uh, internet browsing is a normal part of any student's problem-solving process. And just encourage them to use the internet to help them learn. Now, in all cases, I think it helps if the students are really engaged and interested in what you're doing in class. So that's obviously something important. You've you've, you've got to make your classes interesting and engaging. And that way, hopefully, they'll they'll just listen naturally. Um, I think it's a question of constantly trying to involve them, the students, and maintaining levels of respect as well. I'd imagine that if your classes are really great, then the students won't want to spend time on the internet. So that's our challenge as teachers today, in my opinion, just to try and compete with the internet and try and make your lessons a better option than just going on Facebook. Um, also, you need to think of th- different bits of sort of uh, motivation and, and even maybe mind control by letting them know that you know they're letting them know that you know that they're on Facebook and, you know, making it obvious that that's not necessarily the best thing for their English. There's various things that you can do. Okay, the next question is from Arthur, who is a school pupil, and he says, uh, Hello Luke, if you had super abilities... In what sphere would you use them? Thank you. Well, hi, Arthur. I suppose it depends on what kind of super abilities I have. If I was strong and able to fly or go really fast, I'd probably end up fighting crime or rescuing people like Superman or Batman does do. Uh, if I was able to read people's minds or affect their thoughts, I'd be tempted to help people recover from mental illnesses or neuroses or simply to make them feel confident enough to do anything they want. I think I'd probably use my powers to get rich too, but I'd uh, try to help people. Um, As we know from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. So I think that if I had super abilities, I think I'd also be obliged to use them carefully and with some sense of social social justice. Thank you for your question. Next one is from Anastasia. and She says, uh, they say that there are Uh, Aliens between us, and some of them are working in the government of some countries. If it's true, would you like to fly on the UFO? Thank you. Well, hi, Anastasia. I love the way that your question focuses more on the possibility of a UFO ride than on the ramifications of aliens working in the government. Anyway, I've heard lots of conspiracy theories uh, which state that the world is run by shape-shifting lizard aliens from another planet. Uh, I'm pretty sceptical about that, to be honest. I think it's it's quite mad, in fact, to believe it. There isn't any good evidence for it, although I do believe it's quite possible that the world is basically run by a few very uh, powerful individuals, heads of corporations, uh, leaders of influential societies, that kind of thing. But aliens in the government... Well, I think there may be alien life in the universe, but I'm not convinced that they are here on Earth, or in fact working for the government, although I sometimes wonder about David Cameron. (laughs) That was a joke. But if uh, there were aliens on Earth, and I met them, and they offered me a ride on the UFO, of course I would love to try that. Um, It would be absolutely fascinating to see their technology, and to experience a totally new kind of travelling Uh, The thing is, I'd be afraid that they'd abduct me and then maybe stick an uncomfortable probe into my body somehow. Um, But I hope that answers your question. Okay, here comes the next question. Um, Hello, Luke. I know that you're a lecturer Well, all right. Uh, And just imagine you have a choice to make. All your students will become responsible and always uh, listen to you attentively, or you will receive $1 million. Which will you choose? Thanks in advance. Uh, Well, hello. Sorry, I don't know the name of the person who wrote this, but... um I think that the first option is perhaps impossible. I can't imagine a situation in which absolutely 100% of the people in the room are listening to me 100% of the time. Uh, There's always someone who's drifting off thinking about something else. And I don't mind that too much. Um, If everyone was 100% attentive, that might not be so great. For example, if I made just one mistake, everyone would notice it. Uh, also i quite like the feeling that my students have independent minds and i don't necessarily want to rob them of their free thought Uh, i'd like to to i'd like them to listen to me because they find me interesting not because i've cast a spell on them to make them attentive Uh, that sounds a bit like mind control so i'll be glad to have the one million dollars please Um, Thanks very much for the question. Uh, This this one is from uh, Marina and uh, it goes like this. Hello, Luke. Don't you find that the profession of a teacher is very deforming? I mean, it has a great influence on the personality, which will certainly show itself, especially at old age. For example, you know, he's been teaching for a long time it sounds like a diagnosis which presupposes moralizing excessive strictness and other negative manifestations isn't it really uh, is it really so to your mind wow okay uh, well hi marina i think this is particularly true for people who teach children because it can be very demanding and forces you to be stricter than normal uh, i suppose this can take its toll Uh, I think that doing any job will have its effect on you. So this kind of thing comes with the territory. Um, As a teacher of adults mainly, I would say that it often involves less strictness, but more openness, imagination, patience, creativity, and the ability to listen as well. Um, I hope that as I get older, I will just have enough energy to keep up. Um, Thank you for the question. This one is from Roman. and it goes, uh, so what difficulties have you had with your students and colleges, if any at all? How have you tried to settle them since you became a famous teacher? Uh, well, hi, Roman. Thanks for regarding me as a famous teacher. Um, I've had plenty of difficulties with my students, mostly as part of the challenge of helping them to improve their English. Um, A lot of it's about motivation. It might be necessary to work with people's individual problems and approaches to learning, and that's a normal part of the process. Sometimes you find trouble with students in that their personalities come into play. Normally, this is really great because most people are interesting and basically good people. Uh, But every now and then you come across someone who uh, just likes to make life difficult for others or who simply can't operate within a group of other people uh, with some level of intimacy as part of the learning process. Sometimes personalities flare up and you might find friction between students in a class or even with the teacher. Um, I've had a few problems with colleagues because uh, for the most part, English teachers get on So so I've had few problems, like not many problems with my colleagues, because generally uh, English teachers like to just get on with each other. Uh, We're all sharing the same situation, so there tends to be some camaraderie in the teacher's room. Um, I did a couple of podcasts about the uh, the challenges I've faced as a teacher, and you can listen to them uh, if you go to, I think it's episode 145. Uh, It's called Nightmare Teaching Experiences, and that goes through some of these sort of... uh, Difficult experiences I had as a teacher and the things I learned from them. Okay, I think that's going to be the end of this episode of this podcast because... I've just had a look at the list of questions, and there are loads more questions, absolutely loads. So I'm going to have to stop there because I I, I won't have time to go through them all. Uh, I now have like um, big lists of loads of questions that have been sent to me in various ways. And so I'm slowly going to go through those questions in episodes of the podcast uh, in the future. I've also got loads of other ideas running around in my head. Uh, another thing is, though, that uh, obviously I'm getting married very soon. Uh, my sort of big wedding celebration is happening in less than two weeks. So uh, I may not be able to record a podcast for a little while because I'll be involved in uh, all of the things that uh, relate to, to that. Um, so um, it, there may be a little bit of a gap between uh, now and uh, the uploading of the next episode, uh, but there will be more stuff coming in the future. Um, don't forget to visit teacherloop.co.uk where you can leave your comments and check out all the other content that's available for you there. Uh, by the way, I've done a couple of music mixes or, well, I, I've actually found some old music mixes that I did. Uh, some of them in the day, in, in the years before I ever started doing Luke's English podcast. I've always had fun sort of making mixtapes and um, sort of uh, mixing tracks together and sometimes kind of record Stupid stuff over the top Like my brother and I Always used to do these radio shows When we were kids And we'd play music And sort of chat All this stupid stuff Um, And uh, I used to do it as well um, Not long ago With my Mac and so do a mix and then sort of mess around doing voices and things over the top and I've uploaded some of those mixes onto Mixcloud and you can find them on the website just go to teacherluke.co.uk in the menu you'll see something that says stuff and if you just sort of uh, drag the mouse over the word stuff, then you'll see a few other things in the in the menu. And one of them will say music mixes, and you can go and check out the the, the music mixes. Some of them are a bit funny. There's sort of comedy stuff and also some some just good music. Um, so that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. There'll be more episodes of Luke's English Podcast in the future. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.